lives, uh, relationally, in our family. Uh, we have blind shop spots in our workplace. Uh, but what Jesus is telling us here is that we also have blind spots spiritually. And uh, we're going to examine that. Uh, we'll kind of break it down into three different parts. What is spiritual blindness? Uh, what is spiritual seeing? And then how do we go from one to the other? How do we go from blindness to sight? And uh, we're going to be reading our whole passage. Uh, it's a long one. It's 41 verses, but it's, it's a very compelling story. So if you have a bulletin, you can follow along with me, uh, or you can uh, listen along as well. Starting in verse 1. As he passed by, uh, he, Jesus, saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, how, uh, then how were your eyes opened? He answered them, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, How did he receive his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he, opened, since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The man did not believe, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. And so they called the parents of the man who had received his, uh, his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then uh, does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how, we, uh, now, but how he now sees we do not know, nor we do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself." His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he, has, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and would, you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is worshiping, speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we pray that it would be to us now a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. Uh, Would you minister to us, giving us comfort and encouragement, wisdom and counsel, uh, even conviction and challenge as we have need. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So we're looking at spiritual blind spots. And uh, we've got three big things we're going to say. What is blindness? What is sight? And how do we go from one to the other? And we're going to start in this order. And what our story tells us is that our biggest problem is with spiritual blindness. And Jesus is using the example of someone who was blind and now sees as a picture of what spiritual blindness looks like and how he's going to give us sight. And he's doing this all in front of a bunch of religious leaders who, ironically, um, uh, can see with their eyes but can't see with their hearts. And it's, it's a little bit of a challenge to them. And the most picturesque moment in this whole passage is when Jesus puts uh, mud on the blind man's eyes and says, go wash. And uh, this pool that he tells them to go wash in is actually one that Uh, archaeologists have found, they know where it is, and it's probably about a a tenth of a mile away from where this whole event was happening. And uh, what you can picture if you were a spectator there would be a a blind man whose uh, eyes are caked in mud, kind of groping and staggering and wandering towards this pool. And what the author of this passage is saying is that this is a picture of what spiritual blindness looks like. So if we don't have mud caked on our eyes, we actually have mud caked on our hearts. Would have been very interesting to uh, to be there. And uh, there's kind of two aspects to our blindness. One is uh, things we can't see in ourselves, and then the other is uh, things that we can't see in God Himself. And when I was thinking about what a blindness towards ourselves looks like, I was thinking about um, the experience of maybe making a portrait. And uh, I've never made a portrait, never been part of this whole experience. But uh, if someone had a, a portrait they're making of you. Uh, there would be some eyeballs, right? And there'd be a nose and a mouth and this sort of thing. But as you were looking kind of a little more carefully at the person, you would begin to kind of see little defects in a person. If you were kind of doing a portrait of me, you would notice my, I've got this big, large Neville nose. <laughs> and I've got actually a lot of scars on my face. You can't see them at a distance. You can see them when you're a little closer. And I think it would be very tempting to uh, just uh, say, kind of like, wash over all these things. You know, we don't really want these in the portrait. 
And uh, I remember uh, uh, learning about a, a portrait a long time ago in school. It was a portrait that uh, the general Napoleon had asked to be made of him. It was of his coronation when he was uh, becoming king. And um, uh, if, if you uh, knew about the event historically, he, um, uh, he went to this famous painter and he said, um, I don't want you to kind of make this like a super accurate portrait, okay? Uh, because he'd gotten a little tiff with his brother, and his brother is like, I'm not going to your coronation. And then his mom's like, you got in a fight with your big brother, and so I'm not going to your coronation either. And so since, you know, family drama is a little embarrassing for international dictators, uh, he thought, we can't have that in there. And so he, um, he tells the painter, he's like, hey, would you put my, my mom and my brother in there also? And make them look really happy. You know, and um, he does it with a few other things, and I think it would be uh, very uh, natural to think like this. We don't really want people to see our defects, and we, we want to kind of hide these things. And um, this is uh, what our blindness towards ourselves looks like in some way, that we, the picture uh, that we're painting for other people is always a little too polished, and it's never as accurate and never as uh, truthful as the real us is. And the problem is not only are we giving a polished picture, but that we also begin to believe our own propaganda. And I think this is kind of the, uh, this is the social media problem, this is the Instagram problem, the Facebook problem, uh, is that the picture we're giving to people is always very selective and polished. And we become convinced that this is actually true. But John says in this passage that really the, the ultimate problem with our blindness is our blindness towards our own blindness. And this is what he says at the, the very end of the whole story, kind of summing everything up, starting in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so they're blind about their own blindness, and it takes on an especially kind of religious and moral, moral character to it. And uh, this is kind of one of the, I, I think, probably one of the most upsetting and scary and challenging things about the Bible. It's not uh, invading, you know, the promised land. It's not killing the firstborn. It's this idea that our religiousness, our moralizing, can actually be the one thing that keeps us from God in some way. And the crazy truth is that we can come to church and sing and hear teaching and participate in small groups and serve people and have integrity and in carrying out our principles and have a theological worldview and all these things. And yet John is telling us that we can also be spiritually blind. You see this in the experience of the religious leaders. When they're having this exchange with the blind man, they tell him, we are not uh, Jesus' disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. When they say we're being disciples of Moses, they're not talking about uh, we're part of some weird, funky cult. What they mean is just we're just faithful Israelites. We keep the Mosaic Covenant. We're part of the commonwealth of Israel. And yet, despite all that, they, they are spiritually blind to themselves. What John is saying is that we can be committed to religious systems, and yet these systems can actually be the very, uh, our very experience of our own blindness. This blindness is not only directed towards ourselves, but it's directed towards God. And in fact, the two are tied together. The theologian John Calvin uh, says this, Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And then Calvin goes on to say that uh, you can't know yourself without knowing God. 
and that you can't know God without knowing yourself, and that the better you know yourself, the better you know God. And if there's a problem in seeing yourself, it means there's a problem also in the way you see God. And so what does this look like? What's the experience of our blindness towards God? And I think what you see in this passage a lot of is that you end up blaming people. Because if you can't point the finger at yourself, you're going to point the finger at other people. And the more spiritually blind you are, the more tempted you are to blame other people. You see this in how the religious leaders treated the blind man. Um, they meet somebody who's claiming that they had just been healed, that their life has been transformed, and the very first thing is, they do is launch an inquisition and investigate the matter. And they don't believe him. And they've got a, a little bit of a prejudice against the guy, and they're convinced they're going to find out what the real answer is. And despite good reasoning and good evidence, they continue to blame the guy for something he didn't actually do. So what it says in verse 24. So they called the man a second time, and they uh, called him and saying, uh, you were blind, but now you see. Give glory to God. We know that the man who did this is a sinner. And so their, uh, their blaming goes from the man even to God himself, which points to the problem that if we can't uh, own our own guilt, we're going to be assigning guilt to other people. Our story ends with religious leaders uh, getting introspective, and they're asking the question uh, if they're blind themselves. And uh, this is uh, the right question to ask and the question we should be asking. But it's a little bit difficult because if uh, Jesus is saying you're blind to your own blindness, how would you know if you're blind, right? And uh, they're maybe wondering that also. And so that leads to our second point, which is uh, not only what is blindness, but what is seeing. And uh, we see the same thing. It involves how we see ourselves and how we see Jesus. And to look at this, we need to not look at uh, the religious leaders, um, but we need to look at the guy who got healed. And... Um, uh, and how he sees himself and how he sees Jesus. And what's striking about Jesus is that um, he believes the message that Jesus gives to him. Uh, when he's asked, who is Jesus? He says, this man is a prophet. And what did prophets do? They brought judgments. And what else did prophets do? They brought messages from God, which you were expected to believe. And so what is the message that we're supposed to believe uh, from Jesus? And Jesus sums it all up for us at the very end of the passage. He says this, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The message that John brings to us is that Jesus is coming to restore sight to the blind, and that the deepest and most serious problems in our lives are the ones that Jesus is offering himself as a remedy. He's coming as a skilled physician to fix our problems with blindness and allow us to see himself in the world around us. But this engaging Jesus and his message has the experience also of confirming our own blindness as well. It can be an opportunity to gain sight or it can be an opportunity to confirm what's true about us. We have to remember what Calvin said, that seeing Jesus also means a new way of seeing ourselves. I think it's very interesting that this is the experience of the blind man. And um, I love how he's uh, introduced to us in the passage. He's uh, not referred to as the blind man, but a beggar. And uh, probably the most uh, well-known um, line in this whole story is what he says in, in 25, where he says, uh, after being interrogated by Jesus, uh, excuse me, by the religious leaders, he says this, whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. Well, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
And this line, I was blind, but now I see, has uh, found its way into uh, a hymn that we all know and sing, uh, Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace was written by John Newton, who was a slave trader turned abolitionist. And, um, uh, you know, if, if uh, there ever was somebody who was the very definition of a salty old sea dog, it was John Newton. And uh, the reason cursing like a sailor exists is probably because of guys like him. And uh, he was, uh, found himself as a slave trader and was somebody who was very good at it and took his job very seriously. And uh, one day he was in the middle of a large storm and uh, he feared for his life. And he had spent uh, literally days pumping water out of the ship's hull. And at one point he actually literally had to chain himself to the pump to keep himself from falling over. And he said a prayer that many of us have said, which is, God, if you get me out of this, I'm all yours. <laughs> and so he prayed this prayer, and um, sure enough, the storm left, and uh, he didn't have any kind of lightning bolts, but uh, things did begin to change in his life. And he started a new course and a new journey. Uh, he ended up finding peace with God. Uh, he got married and started a family, and uh, he changed his profession, and then uh, became a very effective abolitionist, um, uh, writing candidly about his experiences in the slave trade. And, uh, you know, when he was reflecting back on his life, he penned uh, Amazing Grace that is actually inspired by our passage. And he says, when looking back on his life and everything that he experienced, everything he'd done, the thing that sums it up most is that he was blind, but now he sees. And I think one of the things I enjoy most about this passage is that this man is nameless, the blind man. It's the same with the religious leaders, but there's, I think it's very intentional that he's nameless because it allows us to identify with him in some way. He could be any of us. And what his story, what his journey tells us is that to experience grace begins with our own weakness. That there is something of a beggar inside each of us, that there is some level of spiritual poverty which we all have that we have to be honest about and that we have to begin with. And what's amazing, though, about engaging our own spiritual poverty is, is that uh, this is uh, the very part of us that turns out Jesus is most interested in. The, the part of us that turns most people off is actually the very part that Jesus is most interested in. And a blind beggar is someone uh, who honestly has really nothing to offer the world but Jesus is uh, very passionately interested in this man. And he's very intensely interested in him. And the part of us that is most pathetic and most undesirable and even most dark is the very part of us that causes Jesus to come near. He wants the part of us that no one else wants. And seeing Jesus means that we see the way he sees us through his own eyes. True sight is to see, our eye, see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. When we talk about our own weakness and our own poverty, uh, it's natural to wonder, is, uh, is this really just amount to self-loathing and, and uh, navel-gazing? And that leads to our last question we consider, which is, how do we move from blindness to sight? And our, our passage uh, shows uh, a couple things about this experience. And the first is that gaining your sight means being found by Jesus. Uh, after the beggar had, beggar had been kicked out of the synagogue, we're told that Jesus went and found the blind man. And this is what it, it says in, in verse 35. Jesus 
heard that he had been cast out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the way uh, the story goes so far is that Jesus, uh, the, the blind man had never actually seen Jesus yet. Because he meets Jesus, he gets the, the mud on his eyes, he goes and washes, and as soon as that happens, he's being interrogated by a bunch of people, and it just goes on from there. That's what most of the chapter is about. And yet at the very end, he gets to see Jesus again. And the amazing thing is that when Jesus finds him, it gives him an opportunity to see him. Doing, doing this, having Jesus finds us, allows us to really see him. And our journey to finding God really begins with his journey to us, to find us in his weakness, our weakness. But there's another aspect of this, not only that Jesus finds us, but that he actually cures our blindness through washing. And uh, to appreciate this point, we have to uh, appreciate something that's not in our chapter, which is one verse before at the very end of chapter 8. We're told that Jesus was leaving the temple, and it's only after he leaves the temple that he finds the man. And it's, very, it's, not a small, it's not a coincidence that he was outside the temple and not inside the temple. In Leviticus 21, we're told that anyone who is blind or deformed in some way is excluded from the most sacred rites of temple worship. Uh, they would have been considered defiled in some way. And that is because uh, temple uh, worship was supposed to exemplify holiness and completeness and wholeness. And this meant that this man... Uh, because he was blind, because he was deformed in some way, would have been kept at arm's length from the, very, uh, from the epicenter of what uh, united Israel to God, which is the temple. And when Jesus uh, comes to him, it means something very profound. It means that Jesus is now acting as the temple. He's coming to a man and doing only things that a temple can do, which is washing and cleansing and when he touches the man, something unexpected happens. Jesus doesn't become defiled. Instead, the man becomes pure and whole. And this is what it means to come to Jesus. It means that he's the only one who can wash us and take away our shame. He is the only one who can clean us and make us presentable to the Father. And something happens which answers our problem of are we doing self-loathing and navel-gazing? Something happens to the beggar himself. This is what the writer tells us right after the miracle. The neighbor and those who have seen him before as beggars were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It's him. Others said, No, but it looks like him. And the man kept saying, No, it's me, guys. And when the friends uh, come to see him, they don't see a blind man. They see somebody who's not a beggar anymore. And the, the apostle is very careful about his word, saying he's not a beggar. He could have said he's not a blind man. He said he's, instead, all the stigma, all the outcast, everything that was associated with, with him being a beggar has been removed, and he's been transformed. Through encountering Jesus, he has not only regained his sight, but he's been changed. This story is a living metaphor for what Jesus is doing in the world. He is coming not only to give sight to the blind, but he's coming to touch those, to wash them, and to change them from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we pray uh, that you would help us not only to be students of it, but you would use it in our lives to perfect the things that you've started. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.